We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. So Friday, this is a long week this week, and uh, I say that every week, but Friday was, uh, we're all tired in the office, and so right about closing time, we just, we had a happy hour among the parish staff, and we ended up going out on the lawn, and we had a beer, and uh, just kind of, you know, relax a little bit. I was going to say detox, but we were actually the opposite of that, so... We were not intoxicated, though, so don't, don't take it that way. But anyway, we, uh, we were just doing that, and we were looking at the gym, and I had this idea. I was like, you know what? I was like, we really need to challenge the school staff to a basketball game. And one of our staff members said, Father Brian, look at us. Like, we're not like basketball players. Like, we're not, we're not like sports people. And I was like have you met classical school teachers? And I was like, they have one ringer. He was at the last mass. They have one ringer, Ryan O'Connor. I was like, what we will do is we will put every single one of us on defense on him. We'll just cover him. We'll leave everyone else unguarded and we will crush them. Which I really think would, that's, that's a good strategy. He was at the last mass and he was like, he was like bring it on. <laughs> I'm like, you are going down, and if you don't lose, I will fire you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, it just got me thinking, and I thought, you know, sometimes in our today's gospel, I want to talk about double teaming. I want to talk about when you have a threat on the other opposing side, when you have something in your life that's opposing you, you want to be strategic. People do this in sports all the time. Right? If someone on the other team is just an absolutely just big threat, what you do is you do your, your strategic right, to isolate that threat and to thwart it. And today I want to talk about that. Today we're going to talk about idols as some of the main things right, that are threats to your eternal salvation and to your life in Christ. When I was, I quoted this last year, and today what we're doing, today is our first Stewardship of Generosity weekend. Uh, we do this once a year. We have two weekends talking about Stewardship of Generosity. There's three big idols in the world, right? There's three big ones. There's power, sex, and money. Those are the three big idols. Those are the three false gods that we're mostly tempted to worship. When I was in seminary, I told this story last year, but it's so good. When I was in seminary last year, or when I was not in seminary last year, when I was in seminary, there's a guy who's now a priest. He's in Phoenix, Father John Muir. And he wrote a song called Shoot Your Cow. And I always wish you could get this song on iTunes. You can't get it. But it's such a great song. And so he used to play this at seminary talent shows. And in the chorus, he says, shoot your cow. Put a bullet in its brain, in the rain or in the sunshine. Yeah, 
shoot your cow, right? It's kind of catchy, isn't it? <laughs> if I sang it, it would ruin for you because I can't sing. But it was a great song, shoot your cow. And what he's talking about, though, you're like, gosh, that's, that's kind of weird. Seminary must be a weird place. It is. But what he's talking about is the golden calf. The golden calf is an idol, right, in Exodus 32. What he's saying is, in your life, you may not think you have idols, but you do. You want to be a good Catholic? You want to be someone who loves Jesus Christ? Shoot your cow. Origen says this. He says, that which someone cherishes above all else, admires and loves above all, this is that person's God. That which someone cherishes above all else, admires and loves above all, this is that person's God. Did not the error of the whole pagan world have its beginnings here? And that what human beings love very much, they want to be God's and ascribe divine names to all human vices and desires. I love that. You and I are made to worship. If you don't worship God, I promise you, you worship something. Calvin, he's not one of our favorite people to quote. He was, you know, one of the founders of the Protestant Reformation. But Calvin at one time said that the human heart is an idol-making factory that we love to make things into false gods. That quote from Origen, you know, whatever you love the most, that's your God. Last night at Mass, I quoted that, and, and a friend of mine was at Mass, and she said, she's like, FB, all I could think about when you're saying whatever you love the most, all I could think about was my cat. And I was like, shoot your cat. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> But you get the point, right? You've got to sacrifice your idols to God. And for most of us, there's three big idols. You might have other ones, right? Oftentimes, like if you're early on in marriage or if you're engaged, it's easy to make your spouse God. It's easy to look to them and say, this is the one thing that makes me happy. And you put them on a pedestal and you make them into what Jesus Christ should be in your life, which will ultimately be painful because they can't be that. We all have idols, right? You got to shoot your cat. You got to shoot your cow. And there's three big ones, power, sex, and money. Those are the three big idols in the world. Sometimes we think that, that we don't have a problem with the love of money. That sin is traditionally called avarice. In eight years of priesthood, I don't know that I've ever heard someone confess avarice. I don't know if I've ever heard someone confess that. I could be wrong. Like, I don't remember confessions, right? When you guys, like, go to confession, I'm not afterwards going, okay, remember. Okay, five sins against the first commandment, six against the second. You know, I don't do that. But I don't really remember people confessing avarice. Right? We think sometimes that the love of money is something only rich people struggle with. Or, you know, maybe we have the caricature of someone who's, like, going to bed at night and they've got that like wad of cash in like their sock drawer. 
and they're like, they pull it out, they're like, I love you, Benjamin, right? Like, and you don't do that, but I promise you, you are tempted to avarice. Every one of us is. Every one of us is tempted to that. We're all tempted to comfort and to nice things. That's a temptation towards avarice. To say that those things are what really make me happy. It's not God that makes me happy. It's not God who gives me salvation and joy and purpose and who sustains my life. It's the money in my sock drawer. This is why I didn't become a financial advisor. Right? I'm like, sock drawer, great idea. Brothers and sisters, we have temptations that way. This is why the church recommends, right, power, sex, money. You ever wonder why all of us, not just priests and religious, all of us are called towards a certain poverty, towards a certain chastity, and towards obedience. Obedience is the negation of power. Chastity is the ordering, the proper ordering of sexuality. Right? And poverty is the rejection of money as a God. I love that. What I want to propose to you today is that most of us, there's two ways that we can run off the rails. There's probably more than that, but there's two, I think, main ways. And I think most of us fall into one of those categories. So the first one, I think always of Exodus 5. In Exodus 5, that's, that's where Pharaoh, right, where he needs, this, he says, the Jews are in slavery, and he says, I want you to give me the same number of bricks, but I will not give you straw. And Pharaoh becomes the symbol of the world. And Exodus 5 is this wonderful, wonderful story, because what happens is that Moses is asking not even to leave Egypt. He's asking Pharaoh for the Jews to have a day to make space and to worship God. He says, we, need, we have to worship God. And Pharaoh says, you're lazy. The reason you're asking for this time to go off and worship God is because you're lazy. You don't have enough to do. And so I'm going to give you more work. And as Christians, brothers and sisters, you and I draw lines in the sand and we tell the world that things do not belong to them. Sunday is the line we draw in the sand that says, Sunday does not belong to the world. It does not belong to consumerism. It does not belong to worldly things. Sunday belongs to Jesus Christ. And we draw a line in the sand and we say, the world has no place here. Same thing happens with our money. If you're not intentional about your finances, the world will claim all of them. And so the first way that you and I run off the rails in our, in our money, brothers and sisters, is that we're haphazard about it. We're unintentional. We don't draw that line in the sand. And so the world is going to claim all of it. There's always something else to spend money on, isn't there? This morning I woke up 
and it was, you know, it's fall, and there's a little bit of a chill in the air, and the first thing I thought when I woke up wasn't, God, I love you. You're the source of my life. The first thing I was like, I wonder how much slippers are on Amazon. <laughs> Don't judge me. But I thought that this morning. There's always something else to spend money on. Always, always, always. And if you're not intentional with your money, if you don't draw that line in the sand, the world will claim everything. And that first category, I think, is most of us. It's not that we don't love God, but it's that we're not intentional with our love of God. And we put God, we say, you know, Lord, I'll pay my bills. I'll do the things I need to do. I'll try to be reasonably responsible. And if there's something left over, aren't you lucky that I threw a little money your way? If that's you, my call to you today is you've got to change your mind on that. You've got to be intentional. You've got to stop being haphazard and you have to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of every single area of my life. He is Lord over my friendships. He is Lord over my Sunday and of all my time. And he is Lord over my finances. And on my budget, right, my first line item is not my mortgage. And it's not my car payment. And it's not entertainment. My first line item is the money I give back to God. massively important. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that category, to do that. The second one I think is less common. I think. I don't know, but I think it is. And the second thing has to do with when you and I, we don't like to admit this, but when money really becomes a source of selfishness in our life. When we really start to make things about us. And it's, it's normal to start doing that, Right? The world tells us, you want to be happy? Get more. Right? You'll be happy once you have the perfect house and the perfect car and the perfect clothes. When you have the nicest of everything and you start to say, yeah, I need more. And we gather all things to ourselves. The perfect image of this, I think I lost my spot here, but see if I can find it really quick. And if not, I'll just describe it to you. Here it is. So this comes from Dante's Inferno. Now, if you haven't read Dante's Inferno, I really encourage you, you should read it. When I first read it, I was a little nervous. People think, it's going to be scary. Like, I don't like horror movies. I don't like scary things. It's just not me. And you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to have Dante nightmares, right? Like, of the nine circles of hell. You won't, unless you're weird. Um, but here's, here's what Dante does, and it's so brilliant. Our normal images of hell are all about fire, right? And that kind of thing is in Dante's Inferno. But one of the most brilliant moves in all of literature and history is that for Dante, the deepest layer of hell is not fire. It's ice. At the lowest level of hell... There's a lake that's frozen. And we're going to get to why that is. It's, it's powerful imagery. And by the way, Dante, when he writes his, his trilogy, he's not just talking about heaven and hell and purgatory. He's talking about our souls. 
And when he talks about hell, he's talking about the darkest place in your soul. What is that like? Here's what Dorothy Sayers comments. She was a devout Catholic. Here's what she says when she comments on that frozen lake where Satan is frozen and people like traitors and those who have the most malicious sins, they're frozen up to the head in this lake. Here's what she says. Beneath the clamor, beneath the monotonous circlings, beneath the fires of hell, here at the center of the lost soul and the lost city, the lie, the silence, and the rigidity, and the eternal frozen cold. You see, a heart, brothers and sisters, that's given over to sin completely is not one of fire. It's a cold heart. Here at the center lie the silence and the rigidity and the eternal frozen cold. A cold and cruel egotism gradually striking inward till even the lingering passions of hatred and destruction are frozen into immobility, right? The soul that is the, that is the most evil is a soul that even begins to lose hatred because sin immobilizes us. It's cold. It is frozen, it is undynamic, it is absolutely static. That is the final state of sin. And to really bring this out, here's what I want to show you. I love this. In Dante's Divine Comedy, that you're meant to see that the center of hell is the perfect opposite of the center of heaven. And I have a picture of this. It's not a photograph because it's of heaven. But I have a, there's an artist kind of rendition of Dante's final vision of heaven that I have over my bed. And I love it. And the, the, hell is frozen. It's static. It is all about self. It brings everything and it says everything's about me. And it cuts itself off from everything else. Heaven is dynamic. Heaven is alive. And when Dante gazes into the beauty and the perfect glory of heaven, God is dynamic. God is a trinity. And all those who love God, there's the circles of heaven. And the circles of heaven are not static. They're mobile. They move. Because love is dynamic. And, and this is so powerful for us, brothers and sisters. When you love, love pulls you out of yourself. Love is always dynamic. Love always makes us go out. Love strips me of the illusion that life is about me. And so nothing is more alive and more dynamic than heaven. Nothing is more dynamic than heaven. Love is always dynamic. It pulls us out. It makes us alive. When you love, you know what it does to you? When you love someone, it pulls you out of your life. 
When your kids start having sports because you love your kids, you're driving all over Denver to go to sports practices and piano practice and play practice, right? When you fall in love when you're dating, right? You stop sitting on your couch watching TV and you go out with the person you're dating. The person who loves the poor stops living for themselves and they go out and they serve. Love is dynamic. And we're called to love in that way. Brothers and sisters, that's the story of God. Right? Is that God is so dynamic, he loves so much that his love even draws him out of the Trinitarian heaven to come to earth. This touches every area of our faith. It touches our finances today, right? Our finances are called to be driven by love. They're called to be dynamic. They're called to be generous. They're called to go out of ourselves. It also is at the last Mass, there's like hundreds of children screaming everywhere, right? And I told the last Mass, I'm like, this is why we have so many kids. This is why the church is against contraception is because love is dynamic. It's not static. It's not closed off to two people. Real love goes out. And it creates new life. On cue, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what we're tempted to. And brothers and sisters, you've got to be intentional about this. Right? If if you've got a, a ringer on the other basketball team, you've got to make a plan to contain that person. The three gods that are going to threaten your relationship with the only true God are power, sex, and money. Those are the three. This week, I'm going to ask you to go home. On Tuesday, I think, you should get a letter from me in the mail. It's going to have one of those cards that's in the pew. We do this every year. I'm going to ask you to be intentional about 2020 and to say, how, how is Jesus Christ the Lord of my finances? I know you have a thousand questions. We don't have time for all of them. But maybe let me hit one or two. Not all of your, your financial giving has to go to Lord's. It does not. It should go to something Catholic. I would encourage you that some of your giving should go to support the poor in this world. It absolutely should. But a, a healthy, there's no, the church doesn't have a law, but a certain percentage of that should go to your local parish. Some of it should go to the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal. The biggest thing I always worry about, though, is are you intentional at all? Is it just haphazard, or is it something that you say, Lord, I'm going to put you first? So, brothers and sisters, today, the call for us in our money is to be intentional, it's to be dynamic, it's to let love drive us. It's to not dissipate ourselves on the world, but it's to be intentional, and it's to grow in that love and that generosity. So Jesus, today, Lord, as you pour out your life, as your love drives you to lose your life for us, Jesus, may that generosity touch every aspect of our lives. May it touch our time. May we be generous in our prayer lives. Lord, may we we be generous in our relationships. 
Lord, may we be poured out in a way that we don't seek power, but we seek humility. And Jesus, may we be generous in our finances. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To pour out my life the way you have poured out yours. And Jesus, by serving you, may I find true joy.